Okay, welcome back everybody. Happy Thursday. We are back with another episode of She's a New Yorker. I am your co-host Katie. And I'm Mariana. Today we are joined by a very special guest, perfectly in time for Thirsty Thursday. Exactly. We are with the one and only Joe Magliocco. Welcome. Uh, Great to be here, guys. (laughs) And we actually have, this is our first live podcast show. Ma, want to say hi? Hello. (laughs) (laughs) So today we are in the Chatham offices in New York City. We we can just kick it off. Yeah. So I guess, Joe, thank you for joining us, of course. Um, If you can tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and what do you do? First of all, um, it's great to be on, uh, and I've, I've you know, listened to your podcast, and I really have liked what I've listened to. I think it's terrific, so congratulations, guys. Thank um, you. So um, I'm Joe Melioko. Uh, I pretty much, I, I grew up in Brooklyn. I was born in Brooklyn quite long before Brooklyn was cool. Uh, <laughs> now, now, now it's very, very cool, and, uh, but it was a wonderful place to grow up. Uh, you know, went to college, went to law school, and but I sort of grew up grew up in the wine and spirit business. My dad, Tony uh, Maglioco, was uh, a wine and spirit distributor and importer, um, and so I grew up in the business, you know, worked vacations there and stuff like that, uh, bartended in college, uh, went to law school. I, I, I think I learned a lot in law school. One of the main things I learned was that I didn't want to practice law. Uh, so. <laughs> Well, that's a wonderful profession, and I, I was fortunate to go to a really good law school. But uh, after I passed the bar exam, I ran straight back into the wine and spirit business. And I've been working in it for a long time, you know, since the uh, early 80s at this point. And I've been very fortunate to work on some really interesting stuff and with some just amazing people. And it's a great industry, and I like it very, very much. Where you are today is uh, Chatham Imports. Chatham is the parent. Uh, Chatham is based in New York. We sell around uh, the country. We sell uh, to 65 export markets uh, outside the U.S., uh, 65 or so. And we also own Michter's Distillery, uh, which is in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Joe is the man. Joe is one of the smartest human beings that I know. And that's not just a biased opinion. You must know very few people. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, he's being modest. So you've been, as you mentioned, in the liquor business for a long time, and it was started by your father. So it is a family business, and your father was an Italian immigrant. He really built the business from nothing, um, and you've taken it and built an empire. So what would you say, you know, was some of maybe your Italian culture? Has that, like, kind of carried through with you, I, your I father's think, influence? I think, I think it's, you know... <clears throat> Well, look, I, I've been very fortunate. You know, my dad started a, a, a wine spirit distributor, you know, from nothing um, and, uh, you know, did well. I've, I've been fortunate. I have two brothers who are my business partners who are both, they're both Ivy Leaguers. They're both brilliant. They're both great guys. And I've been very, very lucky. It's allowed us to, you know, all participate, you know, in different businesses um, uh, while being partners. And, and they've been terrific partners. So I've been very, very fortunate. I would think that the, you know, the, the biggest thing, I sort of learned, you know, culturally, like a lot of the people is just, you know, you know being the child of an immigrant. Yeah. Uh, you know, my dad was uh, five years, my dad, Tony, was five years old when his family came over from Italy. Uh, they were extremely, you know, they're just destitute farmers, you know, trying to find a better life. And, um, um, you know, there was a, there was, there's a work ethic uh, right, that my right. parents really instilled in me. 
And I don't, you know, you know, uh, sure, a lot of Italian immigrants had it, but I don't think it's just an Italian thing. I mean, it's a lot of, it's a lot of immigrants. Look, we're a country of immigrants. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody here pretty much has family from somewhere else. You know, if you look far back enough, and um, I think, I think that uh, you know, it's 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 one of the things that I think really has helped me a lot is just you know, hearing the lessons and hearing how they grew up and um, and it motivated and, you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So going off of that, because Michter's is a family business, what advice do you have for people? I mean, even Katie and I are basically family going into business together. True. What advice do you have for people operating a family business and running a family business? And how do you kind of keep the peace between all? Specifically for us. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I think you two are really, really so bright that I think you'll be quite fine figuring things out. Um, you know, I, I think that the most important thing is to like listen to each other and yeah. to be, you know, to be flexible. And, um, you, know, you know, family or no family, you know, when you're partners with somebody, you know, you're going to have different ideas at times and uh, sometimes even different aspirations. But you know, ultimately, I think to try to understand where the other person's coming from and try to like you know figure out how to best work together i think is really the key thing right yeah and i think it's very admirable when people operate family businesses especially in you know it was definitely more common when you had people immigrating over to the states to get go into business with their family but to be able to continue it and to yeah. keep it alive and, and bring your down. children into it and whatnot i think it's it's very admirable yeah yeah, no, it, it definitely is. I feel like it's it's special. It's not as heard of now, yeah, as it was. Right. So basically, our kids are going to be podcasters. Is what <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> um, so you bought Michter's for how much and in what year? Uh, well, I was tasked, you know, with starting uh, Chatham. Yeah. Getting Chatham started up, um, you know, wine and spirit marketing company. Um, it, as a startup, we really had nothing at the time that anybody wanted. Um, and, um, you know, you're going back now, uh, to the 1990s, uh, when I started looking into whiskey and looking into Michter specifically, I always loved whiskey. Yeah. Um, you know, and I was very fortunate, you know, one of my first bosses, I worked for a distributorship in Connecticut, Charlie Wells, uh, who'd been president of Four Roses was my boss. I learned a lot from him. Um, uh, when I start, decided that I wanted to try to do uh, a, a whiskey, you know, along with my brothers, uh, when we decided we were going to do a whiskey, I went to uh, Dick Newman, who had run a company called Austin Nichols, uh, which is a maker of wild turkey. So I was very oh. fortunate to, like, work with some really brilliant, experienced industry people, you know, as I was sort of growing up in the business. And, and as I said, my two brothers are brilliant. So, uh, you know, I'm starting Chatham. It's a startup. And the most important thing I think that I've learned over the years when you're doing a startup is no matter what happens, don't get discouraged. Mm -hmm, you know, right. just, 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 you know, stuff happens and, you know, you have a lot of disappointments and you just keep moving ahead. I mean, it sounds corny, but people that really have an entrepreneurial spirit, you know, when something happens that's really you didn't want to happen or, or is unfortunate, the most important thing is to learn from it and keep moving on. Uh, but anyway, so um, we're starting Chatham. I loved whiskey. Um, and whiskey went through a virtual depression. I mean, whiskey was like enormous 
in the United States really until like the 70s. And then, then, then like in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, what we call brown spirits went through not even a recession, a depression. I mean, it was just a tremendous, tremendous freefall. Uh, Meaning, popularity. Like just less and less people were drinking. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, volume was down precipitously. I remember being with uh, Charlie Wells, who I said was a, a former president of uh, Four Roses. Right. And, uh, you know, we're driving down I-95. There's a funeral procession coming the other way. He says, Joey, there goes another bourbon drinker. Um, <laughs> oh. And, um, you know, just wasn't hip then. And so as a little company, we I thought that, you know, let's try to do something that a lot of other people aren't, the big companies weren't focused on. Right. What was really way too small for a big company to, to, to get involved in or be worthwhile for them. It might be a nice little add-on for us, you know, that generated a little profit and helped us keep the lights on. So I thought people aren't concentrating on whiskey, especially rye whiskey. Rye was, rye was enormous before Prohibition, um, but rye really was just basically dead. Um, uh, by the 1990s. And so I wanted to try to do a high-quality rye and, of course, a high-quality bourbon. So the market was very different then. I was very familiar with Michter's because my dad, Tony, had been the Michter's distributor in New York when I was growing up. And my first job that wasn't on a truck or wasn't in a warehouse as a worker, <laughs> my first sales job was was closing out some Michter's, a gold-plated King Tut minis uh, in, uh, in the late 1970s that absolutely nobody wanted to buy. Um, and that was my first sales job. Oh, God. But, but I was very familiar having sold Pennsylvania Michters. You know, Michters has a lot of history. It was America's first whiskey company founded in 1753, oh, not in Kentucky, wow. but Schaeferstown, Pennsylvania. So it had a lot of history to it. And um, I was familiar with that history. You know, the brand had just disappeared. And what happened was, you know, as I said, it was almost a virtual depression in the whiskey right, business. Right. A lot of good companies failed. One of them was Pennsylvania Michters. They went bankrupt in 89. It's the mid-90s, around 1995 or so. And I wanted to do a whiskey, and Michters was out of business. And so uh, we started do, do, doing due diligence on the brand. And um, basically, our trademark counsel um, said, said after, after you know, two years of due diligence, said, guys, this is a classic abandoned trademark. I mean... You know, nobody wants it. It's worthless. Nobody wants it. If you really want to, you know, do Michter's whiskey, go to the Patent and Trademark Office, pay $245 for it, and buy it. Uh, so we bought the wow. Michter's brand for $245. Um, and, 225 and, uh, 45, wait, 245 four, yeah it was it, it cost more than 225 we had to throw an extra 20 okay got so, it got yeah, it yeah, okay so, yep um, so <laughs> yeah. so we bought it for 245 dollars and but you know but that was it we just had a name right. um and uh you know we didn't have their formulas like we didn't have whiskey we didn't right. have yeah I mean, more or less um <laughs> uh, but you know but but no it it was almost sort of a, a shame for somebody likes whiskey like me i mean it was really a great brand. They had right. had some wonderful whiskeys. You know, it was literally just abandoned and lost. I'm very proud of the fact that our team and, you know, I, I was working with really great, you know, uh, Dick Newman and, you know, Steve Ziegler, who, like me, is, you know, I'm not a master distiller, okay? I don't pretend to be one. I've for, been fortunate to work with good people and hopefully learned a lot over the years. But Steve Ziegler, who's my executive vice president, has been with me for 35 years working together. He, like me, he loves whiskey. You know, people like him and so much of the uh, the, of the team at Chatham um, and, and now the team at Michter's, you know, uh, really did a lot of work to bring this brand back from really, you know, nothing. Yeah. Wow. To put that into context for everybody, um, <laughs> in a Sotheby's auction last year, a 20-year-old... It's actually this year, by the way. This year. Oh, March. This, March, wow. March this year. Wow. A 20-year-old 
Michter's single barrel bourbon, so bottle regular size, sold for twenty seven thousand five hundred U.S. dollars, and a twenty five year old bottle sold for the same price. So we went from two hundred forty five dollars to this. And, and, and yeah, and our, and our, our ten year our ten year bourbons in that auction, I think there were two ten year two bottles of ten year bourbon. Mm-hmm. Each of them sold Michter's ten year bourbon sold for over two thousand dollars a bottle. Wow! Um, so that was you know we were, we were very happy with those uh, results, obviously. Wow. And, and really, and really, you know, it's a testament to the great work that our team in Kentucky is doing. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like I said, I mean, we have a lot of people working really, really hard. Our company ultimately is all about the people. Right. And we're blessed with, like, really terrific people. So when building the Michter's brand, um, what was the most unexpected challenge that you faced? <laughs> I think that initially there was more negativity to the okay. brand than I expected. There were there were some companies, some some distributors that they would say to me, "Look, I'm very happy to carry your other brands. You know, uh, Michter's, you know, Michter's is kind of a piece of junk. It, it it went out of business, and we don't want to handle it." And again, that was the thing. You know, it would have been very easy for Steve and me and our team to get discouraged. Right. But you know, we would say, "Okay." You know, and uh, we go on to the next company, and sometimes we get turned down by the next company in the market. Right. Um, and so, if that happened, we go to the third guy or third third company and say, you know, and um, and and fortunately, we found enough people that were willing to give the brand a chance. And um, th- I think that was probably one of the you know one of the more challenging things that we really faced. And over time, we were able to offer what we felt was really good whiskey. I mean, at Michter's, our goal at Michter's, whether we're doing it or not, the goal is to produce the greatest American whiskey. That's what we try to do when we go to work every day. If we don't think something's really, really good, in our opinion, we don't release it. And so, you know, we, we released stuff that we felt was, you know, good. And fortunately, there was a positive response. I and mean, we started very small, took years and years and years to sort of really, you know, get some momentum going. But there were people, especially, and I have to give special credit really to uh, what we call the on-premise part of our business, you know, restaurants, bars, hotels. Bartenders really pioneered bringing rye whiskey back, mm-hmm. uh, not just mixers, but rye in general. Uh, and, and, you know, showing what high quality rye can be. Rye, by the way, bur- bourbon, by the way, and we're going to taste some later if you will indulge me. Bourbon, which is by far the biggest American whiskey. And actually, I think it was 1964 was declared by Congress to be America's national spirit. Wow. Um, uh, but bourbon is, is, is the biggest American whiskey. That is made primarily from corn. I use corn in the fermentation. Bourbon runs typically a little bit sweeter because of the corn. Okay. And rye runs... Typically, a little drier, a little more spice uh, if it's a good rye because of the rye. I think you're going to like rye more. Yeah, because I I like like bourbon more. Mm -hmm. That's why we make both. Perfect. That's why we make both. That's so funny. Different people have different opinions. So, okay, so Michter's also has really become like a luxury brand. Like, I feel like everything I've read refers to it constantly as a luxury brand. It's featured on something like Billions, the TV show. That great you know, show. as great it is a show. really good show. It's a great, show. <laughs> great show. That you know, it's their favorite to drink, and you know, they're showcasing it all over the show, and it's really become this like staple of luxury. Was that a vision when starting? Was that just Not a consequence really. of you know the quality of the the liquor? Like I said, I mean, our goal is to be the, is to put out the greatest American whiskey. That's that's yeah, the goal, right? And so. We try to put out stuff that's really, really good. 
And you know, and, you know, there are a lot of wonderful spirits. It's, and look, it's not just us. I mean, they're, 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 we have we have competitors in Kentucky producing just phenomenal stuff. I mean, it's just it's just terrific stuff. You would see wonderful cognacs, and you'd see wonderful scotches. You know, selling for thousands and tens of thousands of dollars a bottle. You know, when American whiskeys were really out of favor. And I, you know, I remember we, we're going to taste celebration today. But I remember when we did Celebration, which is a very rare, you know, release that Mick just does. Uh, we do it. We've done it roughly so far, roughly every three years or so. Um, but it's our rarest release. You know, when we were, when I was speaking to our former master distiller, uh, Willie Pratt, who unfortunately passed away about a year and a half ago. He's a great man. I said, Willie, you know, there's these amazing cognacs. They're these amazing scotches, and they're wonderful quality. I think that great American stuff can be really as good as any spirits in the world. Yeah, right. And, um, and so we tried to pursue that goal. But we're also going to taste our, our, our two main uh, items, uh, which is Michter's US-1 Bourbon and Michter's US-1 Rye. Mm-hmm. Um, and those retail for about $50 a bottle in the U.S., more abroad, but about $50 a bottle in the U.S. You know, so they're certainly approachable. We spend every bit as much care and every bit, bit as much attention on those you know, as we do on the stuff that sells for 27500 a bottle. I think, you know, really... Over time, and, you know, remember, you know, I've had people sometimes, you know, say to me, you know, wow, you know, you guys are doing great for a brand that's been around for three or four years. I'm like, <laughs> uh, why don't you try 20, why don't you try the, the Kentucky Mictors? We restarted Mictors in Kentucky about 25 years ago. Right. So, um, you know, it, you know, things don't, things don't happen overnight. You have to be patient. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So kind of combining, let's say one question and two, what is your favorite way to drink Michter's and then for someone who doesn't who isn't very familiar with you know brown or dark liquors how do you suggest they start getting into the space and start drinking it wow that's a really good question my favorite way um I have so many favorite ways to drink it (laughs) I think if you're gonna if you want to learn and this is not just about about bourbon, but it's about spirits, about wines. I think the most important thing is to taste something initially straight, even if it mm-hmm. seems harsh, okay. and, and, and to compare it to compare it against other things. Literally side by side tasting, you really learn a lot by doing that. I think it depends. I think that if somebody wants to learn about whiskeys approaching it, I think tasting a little bit straight, just a little taste, right. will, will will sort of give you an indication, and then. There are so many people nowadays. I mean, it's not like bartending when I bartended in the late 70s. When I bartended, a complicated drink had two ingredients. Wow. You know, vodka and yeah. orange juice, a screwdriver. I mean, that, <laughs> right. that was complicated. You know, now, like, now, like, they're, like, putting together, like, five or six things, and then, like, they're taking a cedar plank and burning it <laughs> right. over the, you know, over the drink. Bar has been raised so much. Right. You know, in the bartending culture, I mean, there, there's so many bartenders making amazing drinks. So I would, I would encourage somebody just sort of learning and getting into it to drink approachable cocktails. Right. You know, sours. Yeah, or, like, how did you... Explain the drink that you got me into when I first... Yeah, yeah. There's something called a New York Sour. It's basically lime juice, lemon juice, a little simple syrup, a little bourbon or rye, and you put a slight little red float wine on it, which... Oh, you know, that's what you Red, red wine float yep. on it. It's so and, um, good. It's delicious. It's drinkable. If you live in uh, uh, Palm Springs, you know, when it's really hot, you know, or, if, or you know, not, not yeah. every climate is cold. You know, whiskey, right. whiskey is more than just... Uh, just a wintertime drink. Mm-hmm. You know, right. it's a very refreshing sort of summery drink. I mean, I personally really just like bourbon and soda. 
Right. Yeah. But but that's you know that's 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 just a personal preference. I mean. Yeah. When Caitlin ordered that on her birthday, and she was like, "Trust me, this like oh, if yeah, you're you gonna taste, it. make yeah. yours. Yeah, try it in this cocktail, and it was amazing. So good. Yeah. No, I. It's like my new drink for me to really like drink it. That was sure my favorite that you had introduced totally, me to. Totally, totally agree. That was like the perfect way to to kind of like introduce it. Now yeah, and now it's a typical. And, and whiskey whiskey highballs have become very very popular. You know, just where you mix it with soda, maybe put a little wedge of ledge of lemon on it, yeah, or something right. like that. But again, you know, you know, we're going to taste Mictor Celebration today. We have places we call on that offer it for you know over seventeen hundred dollars a shot. That's not a bottle wow. for a shot. So something like that, I probably wouldn't mix it with red wine and no. you know and, and simple right, syrup and right, uh, juice. Right. So, it so totally that's what you really want to taste. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if you're going to taste something really special and really want the experience, I, I really think you want to taste it neat. And what's also interesting, and I've learned this from, you know, a lot of their, you know, brilliant, you know, tasters and brilliant reporters in our business. And what I've learned from some of them is, you know, like a good wine, a good whiskey will literally change a little bit in the glass as it oxidizes. Oh, and so you taste it when it's first poured. Okay. And then, and then, you know, they may sit with it for like five minutes, taste it again, and then 20 minutes later, taste it again. And you'll, you know, it, it sort of softens. Uh, oh. The oxygen interacts with the, with the spirit. And, um, you know, you pick up different flavor nuances as it goes along, if it's a good spirit. And do you recommend chilling the bottle, drinking it at room temperature? I think to taste whiskey, I personally prefer room temperature mm-hmm. when you chill it the the chilling can sort of mask i think some of your taste stuff you know one of the things we're going to do today when we taste you know a lot of people say like, well geez in kentucky when they come to mictures you know why do you have coffee grounds right and 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 the, the same way that somebody may use like water if you're tasting several whiskeys you know you'll spit because you don't want to get drunk um you know maybe you don't want to get drunk but right. whatever but you shouldn't um you know same way you might use a piece of bread or a cracker or some water to clear your palate, your sense of smell is so important to what you taste. Yeah, and wow. so to sort of get over the fatigue of nosing several whiskeys, you can sort of clear clear your, your, your sense of smell by smelling coffee. That's how we wow. do it in Kentucky. That's so interesting. And that, I mean, in this day and age, it's evidence of how important your sense of smell is to your taste with COVID and everything. Everyone's 100%, like losing right. their sense of smell and you can't, Taste, taste anything, either. yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, I, I urge you know we, we have two distilleries in um, uh, in Louisville, Kentucky, Mictor Shively, which is the main one, but we have a gorgeous um, renovated building, uh, Mictor's Fort Nelson Street, where we have the legendary postal system from Mictor's Pennsylvania, which oh, we wow. were able to get, which is really making amazing spirit that I'm very excited about. But there we have a world class cocktail bar there. Yeah, you're and call. and we have oh, cool. we have we have educational tours. I'd love to have you come. And Fort Nelson's open to the public. You can go online to wow. mictors.com, book tours and stuff. And when you go there, one of the things that we do is it, it, we do some sensory training and um you know and this is something people can try at home. Uh, take a vanilla jelly bean, put it in your mouth, pinch your nose, put it in your mouth. When you chew on it, what you really taste is just you just taste like sweet and sugar right when you open your nose when you let go of your nose the vanilla just booms in your mouth so that's a trick you can try at home but it sort of and our sensory training really drives home you know how important sense of smell is to what you taste is critical yeah wow that's so cool okay so 
a little bit of a different question here, but sure. when you were a bartender in yes. the late seventies, yes. what was a super popular drink? Was it a or order that you got? Was it a screwdriver? Um, <laughs> screwdriver, um, uh, scotch and soda. It was great for somebody like okay. me because you literally had to memorize two ingredients, right. which I, I was like, yeah. I, I could figure that one out. Uh, Kahlua and vodka was a popular one then. Okay, there were sort of a bunch of different staples, but they were they were really simple drinks compared so to evolved. now. Yeah, <laughs> I mean the bar has been raised so much by the restaurant people and the you know hotel people and the bar people around the country. Um, you know they're making just incredibly spectacular, wonderful you know uh, cocktails that are really interesting nowadays. Right. Yeah. yeah I mean, I feel like that's the <laughs> one exciting thing when you're going out to a, a new bar yeah. restaurant is like looking at the cocktail menu and what they're making. It's yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. No, for sure. What's been the shortest lived liquor trend that you've seen? Wow. <laughs> um, I would say that probably sometimes, you know, a flavored item, okay. you know, a fruit flavored item may mm-hmm. come out yeah. and um, it just goes on fire. Right. Um, and becomes like the hugest thing. Um, you know, when I was uh, working for a distributor in Connecticut, um, uh, De Kuiper Cordials came out with something called, uh, um, it was a line extension. Um, um, the, the people that were, you know, uh, telling us to introduce it in Connecticut, it's pretty clear that they had no idea it was going to take off. Uh, it became the largest sp- selling spirit in the state. Wow. And, and they were making a drink called, uh, I think it was a fuzzy navel. It was uh, orange juice and peach tree schnapps. Um, and, um, you know, so, so stuff sometimes, will, so flavored stuff can really just explode. Um, but typically that does not have as long a life cycle as the things that take time to build up. Right. Um, you know, and, and the that things that sense. aren't flavored. So That's interesting. That's like when we were in college... Green apple, everything yes. green apple, sure. flavored green apple just blew up like Ciroc, everything. Uh, was there a Smirnoff green apple? Probably. I feel like that flavor just blew up and then it just it's lived gone. lived for a year and then it was like, <laughs> yeah. then onto another flavor, let's say. Sometimes there seems to be, you know, eventually flavor fatigue. Right. If so, people drink something just because it's a flavored item. Right. A piece of advice you've given me that is stuck, and I know it comes from your mom, is you'll never regret receiving more education, continuing education. Another thing you've um, taught me is no mistake is a mistake if you've learned from it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. What is the best piece of advice you've ever received? I've received a lot of really good advice. First of all, probably the best advice I can give is ignore my advice. (laughs) Uh, That's probably the best advice I could give. But aside from that, I'll always remember as a little kid and I'm watching, you know, an NFL post-game thing, and it was an all-star quarterback, John Brody, from the um, San Francisco team. He, he was being interviewed, and he said, you know, if you try your best at something, even if it doesn't work, you can't be disappointed. Right. You know, so the important thing is just try your best. And I think that's, you know, and even though it was like something I was watching on TV, it was probably like seven or eight years old. Yeah, it always It always stuck. Yeah. I think it's really very good advice. You know, you got to do your best and, you know, be, you know, feel good about it and be proud of what you do. Yeah. You know, when you know when you can't you can't be disappointed if you're trying your hardest. Right. There's so much that can be learned. I think for us being young in our careers, we look up to yeah. more experienced people and think, "Oh, we have so much to learn from them. We just want to be like a sponge and absorb it all." But like even my dad will always say he's like, "I learned so much from you guys. Like you're the ones who are watching the world evolve and 
participating. That is such a, a good observation. It's such an important observation. I mean, I learned so much. I work day to day with my son, Matt, and with my niece, Kath, both fantastic. The world is totally different right. than it was in the, the, the 80s. There weren't even fax machines right. at that point. It's so, so different. I literally learn, you know, every day. You know, yeah. we were talking about NFTs last week. Right, Catherine, yeah. Catherine was educating me about <laughs> NFTs last week. Yeah, she's right. very bright. And really, Next Generation keeps the businesses relevant. Right, yeah. So how do you think being a New Yorker has shaped you? Ha! Um, one of the things I like the absolute most about New York um, is the diversity. Mm-hmm. You know, the diversity of, of you know so many different people from so many different cultures and, and experiencing, you know, each other and and learning from each other's, you know, celebrating each other's cultures. I think that growing up in a diverse area, I think it really helped when you travel to different parts of the country Mm -hmm. that you're not familiar with. And then when you go abroad, you know, and it can be really different. I, I think that that, I think that being around different, you know, types of people and learning from different friends, you know, with different backgrounds, I think that that really helped a lot in terms of navigating and adjusting. Yeah, I, I feel like at being a New Yorker, you're very adaptable to just any... 100%. That's the word yeah. I was thinking of, too. Because like everyone, I and mean, we look at our friend group, and we all grew up here within, you know, a few block radius of one another, and every single one of us comes from such a different background, yeah. nationality, yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah adaptable is a great word. I mean, really, you know, and it, it's important in life to be adaptable. Right. Yeah. No matter what you're doing. So New Yorkers are adaptable. You may yes. think we're aggressive and intense, yeah. but we're also adaptable. Yeah. <laughs> Shall we head into some rapid fire questions? Yeah. We're on the topic of New York. That's what I was going to say. Okay. It's a perfect transition. So what would you say your favorite neighborhood in New York is? That is really tough because I like New York City so much, but um, I spent a lot of my adult life on the Upper West Side, and yeah. I think it's wonderful. Right. And I feel like you said you're from Brooklyn, and... I've my family's originally from Brooklyn and my dad always says, you know, it's so cool to see what Brooklyn has transformed into and Oh yeah, and, and just amazing, you know, people that have come out of Brooklyn. Right. Yeah. I mean it's really quite remarkable. Yeah, but I re- like I remember growing up in Manhattan and being younger and being like, Yeah, my family's from Brooklyn and people were like, Oh, Brooklyn. And then it was like now. fast forward ten years, everyone's like, So where's your family from in Brooklyn? Like, <laughs> let's go to Brooklyn. Feeling about Brooklyn is quite different than it was 30 years ago, right. let me tell you guys. Okay, and your favorite thing about New York City, which I guess we touched diversity. on. Diversity. Yeah. Definitely the diversity. And all the different people. I think we have a really a great collection of people here. Yeah, yeah. I, I, agree. No, I agree. I felt too. that even, even going with to college. Like, cuisines, like, we're so spoiled. Like, we can go into any different neighborhood yeah. and, like, you can go on your cell phone. Forget even going to the neighborhood. Just get your damn cell phone and order yeah, stuff. I mean, right, you yeah. can order like amazing cuisines. Right. And you can get the I best can of eat the best the from the world in my living room. Yeah. And it's like the it's best true. of the best. It's like not yeah, like, no. you know, some places are like, yeah, you can order from this restaurant, but it mm-hmm. might not really nothing special. Like in New York, or you can get. it doesn't get, like really capture like what the real, like, right. authentic food is like. But in New York, you can find it. Yeah. What is your favorite bar in New York City, but also then. In the Hamptons. I've been a few bars in my lifetime, by the way. Um, just a few? But yeah, just a few. I would say my very favorite bar is one I'm currently drinking in. Okay. <laughs> Me too. I like that answer. Yeah. I mean, there's so many great bars. New York City has so many great ones. And then in our industry, you know, you just go around the world. There, there are amazing ones all over the world now. 
Yeah. And what's really interesting, too, is now you see, you know, through the internet and Instagram and everything else, you know, everybody's so connected. I always say, like, now that I've become familiar with Michter's, every time I'm in a new city, you're traveling. She's good. I send Katie a picture. You're a spotter. You're a spotter. I spot it. And I like, I look for the label. It's like the first thing I do when I get to great. the bar. And by yeah. majority of the time, it's there. It's great. Um, your favorite red and white wine. And I guess, what do you prefer, a red or a white? I like flavorful stuff. And so when it comes to whites, I like, I, I love like rich white burgundies. Mm-hmm. Um, those are probably my favorite whites. Um, uh, you know, some of the American Chardonnays are killer. Mm-hmm. Uh, love those too. But I think I probably push when push came to shove. I probably like reds a little more in general. Mm-hmm. In general, reds have a little more depth and a little more full flavor. And I especially like. I mean, it's hard to say. I love good Bordeaux, but but I'm also I also really enjoy Brunellos and some wonderful Italian wines too. Mm-hmm. Those are probably my favorites. That's my dad's favorite, Brunello's. Brunello, yeah, they can, they can be amazing. Yeah. They can be amazing. Yeah. Um, so who is the quintessential Michter's drinker? That is such a hard thing. You know, we're very fortunate. Look, like, like I said, there's so many diverse people around the world, and we're fortunate to, you know, have a lot of different people who support us, and, you know, because the brand is nothing without our consumers and nothing without our supporters. I would just say, in general, it's somebody that cares about quality. Yeah. Whether they're buying our, our entry levels. I drink the US ones, you know, yeah. most myself. I love those and I'm very proud of those that we can put, you know, out stuff that I think is just amazing. And I say this to somebody, I try to sell it. I don't make it, okay? We have our master Dan McKee is brilliant. Um, Andrea Wilson, our master of maturation. And by the way, she broke the glass ceiling in the Kentucky bourbon industry. Uh, for over 100 years, the Kentucky Distillers Association never had a woman chair. She's the first wow. w- first woman in over 100 years to chair it. I mean, I mean, she's our master of maturation. We have amazing, amazing people that make it. So I don't make it, but I'll, I'll just say, like, I think they're doing a great job. <laughs> right. I love whiskey. I mean, I enjoy tasting friends at other companies' whiskeys. Right. But I'm really, really proud of what Mictus has been putting out, especially, you know, again, I think the U.S. ones for the money are just really something to be right. very, very proud of. What would you say is the best, you know, people will say, oh, you're ordering a steak, get a glass of red. What would you say the best food is to pair with a Mictus? Um, another great question. I think it really depends on what you're drinking. Um, for example, rye with the spice of a rye. Rye goes really well with like, you know, Indian food. Wow. It goes really well with Mexican food. Okay. Um, it goes flavors. well with something that's a little bit, a little bit spicy. Bourbon, bourbon's a little bit richer and a little bit um, sweeter. It can be amazing with certain cheeses. It's wonderful with like with a steak. Um, and something, you know, rich like that. So some people think like if lamb is a little bit fatty, the, the spice of a rye will cut through some of it. And so that's a good combination. So there's all different sorts of things that you can try. But, you know, again, it's like anything else. I encourage people to just sort of like experiment and try stuff and see what you like. It's all about ultimately what you like. Right. Shall we head into the Yeah, the five Fs. So this is our first time doing it with a guest. Oh, with a guest. Oh, we did it with Carly. Yeah. But Um, which which will be fun and to do it with, you know, true true New Yorker as well. So let's start with okay, Katie and I were saying a fad that we're seeing are Or just like a more recent like trend. Yeah. Our generation and the social like a lot of people started leaning towards tequila. Yeah, that's how it started. It started with tequila. Now, all of a sudden, everyone's drinking Mezcal. Everyone and their mother. Yeah. And 
there's been a huge outbreak of the mezcal. Me- in the mezcal market, right? Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> I don't know if I can give a totally unbiased answer because uh, number one, I like mezcal. Number two, Chatham, uh, Mictor's parent, purchased half of a mezcal brand about a year ago, Los Siete Mysterios. Uh, we call L7M. Los Siete Mysterios so good. is... So good. is I love it. Yeah, I mean, it's considered in Mexico, it's considered one of the very high-end, really highest quality mezcals. And it had the type of quality approach that we try to take with Mictors, our partners in Maestries. Uh, they're in Mexico making it along with their mom. I think mezcal can make really wonderful cocktails, mezcalita. Mm-hmm. And look, tequilas, there's so many amazing tequilas. I'm a big fan of tequila. Uh, mezcal is a much smaller category, um, but it's experienced great growth. I think in 2020, you know, Drizzly, the online retailer, I mm-hmm. think that their sales of mezcal went up 600%. 600? Wow. Yeah, but on a small base. I think Mezcal is here to stay. Yeah. I don't think it's a fad. I um, agree. Everybody buckle up. I hope yeah. it's here to stay because I love Me it. Me too. I think it will. So How do you drink it? I like it the way the Katie mescalita. introduced it mescalita. to me, the Mezcalita. But I'll drink it like with a little... Seltzer and seltzer lime and juice. Lime, it's perfect. Yeah. I love it's it. Delicious. And delicious. I, I like the smokiness of it. You, like, you, yeah, you loved the mezcal when it first started. Yeah, I, mean, I hopped on it once Los Cientos Mysterios became a thing. Yeah, I'm very loyal. Thank yeah. you. Um, Appreciate that. And then, yeah, no, now we love it. So for our fun F, we're highlighting social clubs in New York in general. They kind of have different vibes, but it's kind of been i feel like they've just popped up everywhere yeah yeah it's like very unique and i think i mean it seems like that's the direction our the social scene in new york is moving and it's you know it's hard enough to get into a club before a bar you're waiting online now Now you've got to get into a social club now you have to be a freaking member yeah so i guess that it covers fun and fads yeah because, like, that's now the new thing, which I also think that's here to stay. I don't think that's going to be a fact. Yeah. I think the social club scene is, like, a thing. I but agree. maybe it's just, like, we're maturing. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, I always talk about my parents, and they're like, it was around when we, we were in New York. It just, yeah. it's just different. You know, there's just, a, the vibe of them has changed, or, you know, everything has changed. But social clubs or private clubs has always, been always been around. Yeah. Okay, well, I mean, if you've heard my stomach rumble i apologize i'm starving so like moving on to food hutong we love mars is trying it for the first time tonight we're all going there are a a lot of other great chinese restaurants in new york spectacular ones but um hutong is just really quite remarkable the first i became familiar with hutong um from going to the hutong um in hong kong Um, oh wow and um the quality is just always excellent it's a great place yeah, and it's so pretty. You're gonna love the bar. I'm really excited. I think what's you know going off of what we were saying before about New York restaurants, it's so cool to you can get very high quality, you know, a more luxury, let's say, experience at a Hutong, and then yeah. you can go to, to Chinatown. Chinatown and go to you know Joe Shanghai and yeah, get incredible, incredible Chinese food. Like there's, and I always say that about Greek food as well. There's you know like Milos, which is beautiful, yeah. elevated. Whatnot, but you can also go to Astoria or like Tavernaki Glades, and it's like incredible Greek food that's a quarter of the price. Like, there's you and can really different... get everything. Yeah, it's just a. I, I, whenever people are like, "Oh, what's your favorite Greek, Greek restaurant?" I'm like, depends on the vibe you're going for because right. you can get great Greek food 
from the souvlaki truck in Astoria, if you want. Like, yeah. So no, it's true. We really are so spoiled. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're amazing restaurants. Yeah. That's why I you, mean, you name the cuisine. I mean, they're 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 multiple, just spectacular places. There are cuisines I didn't know existed. Yeah, <laughs> and well, t- also with New York being so diverse, you see so many fusions mm-hmm. of. I mean, there's a there's a restaurant in Williamsburg that's an Israeli Japanese fusion restaurant, really? and it's like two types of cuisines that you'd be like, how did the two go oh, hand wow. in hand? And it's amazing. Like oh. it's amazing. Wow. So, okay. Yeah. We're never gonna run short on the food. Yeah. Like ever. Um, and then, oh no, second to last fashion. We are headed to the Derby soon. Yeehaw. Yes. Um, <laughs> this will be my first Derby. Joe has obviously been, and I have to get a hat, right? Yes. Like a big one. Well, some women wear these beautiful smaller hats, so. Uh, it doesn't have to be the size of a satellite dish. Okay. Although some of them, although some of them are. Imagine some of them are. You're My knocking hats. people out. As I, can't, I can't get in the door. You know, but people dress up. It's a really fun event. Uh, it's it's remarkable to me because, you know, Churchill Downs will get like north of 160,000 people. Wow. You know, there that day. Um, and um, uh, But the, the, whole, the city, Louisville is an amazing city. I mean, it's been a great home. Uh, yeah. Kentucky's been a great home for Michter's. And so I've been very fortunate to spend a lot of time there. And um, Derby's a lot of fun. I'm it's really fun. excited. And when people this, really get dressed up. When you're yeah. listening to this, I'll be on an airplane on my way <laughs> yeah. to Louisville yeah, with my Kate, hat. Caitlin will <laughs> make sure to take pictures yes. of the best hats she sees, the best outfits she sees, and we'll, and my own. we'll get a collect. It's funny. I said that weekend I'm actually going with my dad to the Grand Prix in oh, Miami. Nice. And opposite outfits. We, at, well, the other day we were saying, so I was like, what are you going to wear? And she's like, I've been looking at outfits. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm looking at like these sports jackets that I want to get and like this edgy hat. And she was, we were like, we, that weekend, the two of us are going to be wearing <laughs> polar we, opposite we outfits. We literally can go to the airport together. Yeah. But like, I'll be going to Louisville. You'll be going to Miami. And yeah, we better not drop <laughs> suitcases. I'm going to be Can walking into the Grand Prix with a hat on. And like flower dresses. Yeah. I'm going to be walking into the Derby with a Ferrari jacket, bomber jacket. Right. right. Um, okay, and then the last F we have is a fitness or wellness trend that you, when you're not working, how do you either stay in shape or unwind and relax? I love to just go for a jog. In New York, you know, running the places I run the most, because I'm there the most, really is just, you know, New York City, um, you know, to go into Central Park yeah. is just, I mean, Central Park is just spectacular. Yeah. Uh, and running in Central Park is beautiful. I, I, I much prefer running outside to uh, a, a, a treadmill, yeah. But Central Park is amazing. Running in downtown Louisville is terrific. Um, running in the Hamptons, it's just really nice to be out. Yeah. yeah I always definitely. say it's the best way to see a, a new city. city and like I you know when I'm if I'm traveling with someone I'm like oh let's go for a jog and they're like really you're like one of those people wants to work out on vacation well, okay but you are to and be fair. yeah Katie's like <laughs> half asleep in Greece and she's like I'm so jet lagged and I'm like get, come on get your butt up we're going <laughs> we're in Mykonos we wake up she's like I want to go to the gym I was like, <laughs> not really but sure <laughs> but I I mean I got super into running when I was abroad because I was like, this she is the best way. Wow. That's amazing. And I started training when I was studying abroad. It was like, I decided wow. to do it when I was abroad and, um, I ran the New York one, but I was wow. training and it was just the best way to see. Were you just every dead city. afterwards? I, you know what? 
the training was more where I was like feeling the exhaustion. Like I was, I would train. Yeah. In central park, I would do like a 16 mile run. And I was like, wow, that night you would feel it. Wow. I think with the adrenaline on the day of the race, you don't feel it. But like, that was my biggest, you know, fear because I, I had done a half marathon and I felt amazing after it. And I was like, yeah, let's, you know, next morning. Yeah. I'm gonna go for another five mile run. And, that was where like my knees were killing me. And so it's like, like my dad always said, he's like, adrenaline is a scary thing. Cause you're not feeling anything, but trust me, your body's like screaming at you. So, yeah. um, I would say the day of, I felt like great. I was like on a high the next day. I couldn't walk down the stairs like for, <laughs> for a solid few days. Like it was, it was a lot, but it was, I mean, so cool and no better city to do it. in than this one I mean well, you and it's can, your hometown like it's your home city it's, yeah and the cheering is like mm-hmm. I like I went to school in Boston and the Boston Marathon is mm-hmm. a historic event there and everyone gets the whole city shuts down for their their marathon everyone gets so excited for it and I had run my dad ran Boston I ran like three quarters of the race well, with him and how you're many running your dad run 16 that's amazing yeah that's and amazing. to Boston you know, you're running through rural parts of rural Massachusetts, and it's pretty quiet. Where New you're York, right, right, New York, there's there zone. is no yeah, like rural neighborhoods really within yeah. the five boroughs, and, and there's people screaming everywhere. Like it's really it's such a cool experience. But yeah. yeah, you're both runners. I'm definitely not. Like I, can't. what do you like you're to a do? Walker, you're a, you're like I am a walker. When my mom and I did the triathlon in when yeah. we were in high school. We were in Paris for my birthday the week wow. before it, and we were walking like twenty miles a day. <laughs> yeah, she had she had the idea. She was like, "Let's run one day," and I was like, "No." Yeah, <laughs> but you know, we made it through. Listen, walking's just as good. Yeah, everybody, workout. walking is just as good. <laughs> if you're walking ten miles versus right, jogging right. three miles, you're getting the same, True. basically the same workout. True. Is that all of them? That is all of them. Joe, thank you so much. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. This thank was you for coming on. Thanks for having us. I'm very impressed. You've seen it from the ground up. <laughs> yeah. It, no, re- I've really enjoyed, I mean, I love the way that you guys are and how you question your guests and you've had really interesting people on and I think it's just terrific. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're the best. And so now we'll move into the tasting. The fun which part. I've been, I'm so excited for. It's up to you, no.